presenting. Cause and creation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cause and Creation on the All Ports Open Network. We are so excited to have you with us, and I am so excited to have my co-host, Janelle, with me. Everyone, say hi to Janelle. Janelle, say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. So, we have a really exciting episode today. We got to speak with Miguel Garzon Martinez. He is an actor, writer, director, editor, a lot of credits. Um, but we're specifically talking with him about some really cool projects that he's been working on where he is not only taking other people's stories and retelling them, but also he goes into a lot of philosophy talk and it kind of turns into a little bit of a therapy session in a way. It was pretty cool. I don't even know if it was like a therapy session. It was felt more like us both just like really kind of asking questions and not really getting answers, but also, you know, kind of what we talked about in the conversation was just the exploration of, you know, just people in general and life in general and how you don't have to always have the answers. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. No, it was so fantastic. And so we are going to let you guys get to that. But before we do, we're going to have our little artist date check-in. So Janelle, did you have an artist date with yourself this week? I did. I had a really fun um, artist date. So I came across this website where you could read um, pilot scripts from like years ago. Like they have pilot scripts all the way down past to like, you know, 2006, 2007, like years years ago, which like that doesn't feel like that long ago, but it's that was years ago, obviously. And I feel really old, honestly. (laughs) I don't don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's a really fun website where I was just like reading all these pilots. Some of them are produced. Some of them weren't um, produced. And I was reading this pilot of this woman, this female writer who she wrote a TV series that got picked up by MTV. And um, I feel like it was really like ahead of its time. Like I was reading the pilot and I was like, this should get made like now. It was called... um, Sweet Vicious. Do you, do you remember when this came out? This was like 2016. Um, I don't think that I do, but I was also a freshman in college at that point. So I wasn't watching much of anything at that time. That's fair. And like MTV, I know that they had like this like brief, I don't know, where they were take, picking up a lot of like scripted content. And I think that was like around that time, but it didn't really work out. Like people were still just tuning into MTV for like, oh God, what was that bad reality show that was on it? Which one? (laughs) We had the Teen Moms. Teen Mom, there you go. Teen Mom. I feel like everyone was like just, they weren't going to MTV for like scripted content. They just wanted to watch Pregnant Teens. So this, you know, the show came out, Sweet Vicious. Oh, and I just just want to say to the listeners, we are in full support of any teen moms out there we are more of against the um exploitation of young girls who have found themselves in difficult situations just to clarify yeah just like i'm just against like bad reality tv yeah no that's also <laughs> that's that's fair. where my stance that's where my stance will go on that <laughs> but um no, so Sweet Vicious, it was, you know, like the plot of it was basically about this um, female vigilante who on her college campus was kind of, you know, getting some justice for um, sexual abuse victims. Oh, I love that. And it kind of, you know, it, it followed these two girls as they like were like fighting crime to some extent on their college campus. And, you know, the pilot was so good and it was so timely and I felt like it could have came out now and done way better especially if it wasn't on mtv let's be fair and i was curious and i looked up um the writer and i was like i wondered what else she had done and her imbd is literally this one series by mtv that got one season in 2016 one movie that i personally hadn't heard of in like 2019 and now she's writing the new thor movie (gasps) no way Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's insane. And I feel like it's like one of those things that I came across that I was like, 
gosh, this industry, anything can happen. Like literally anything can happen. I feel like this woman, um, Jennifer Katine Robinson, um, you know, I feel like she probably made this series that didn't go anywhere. She's just like, nothing's going to happen. And literally did she know that like in a few years she would be writing like one of the biggest, you know, biggest blockbusters. Yeah. So it was really inspiring, you know, I to just like, I love when good people, um, just are successful. I feel like that just makes me so, so happy. And you know, she's so talented and I'm so happy that she's doing some big things. That's so exciting. So shout out to her. Shout out to her. <laughs> and also just a small request. Um, objectification is never good, but I would not mind a little bit of Chris Hemsworth under the female gaze or Tom Hiddleston. Just going to like toss that out there. Oh yeah. No, I never thought of that. I'm really actually excited to see like this, this film, you know, like Thor and especially Chris Hemsworth um, under the female gaze and you know, what, what kind of juicy tidbits we get from No, that. I'm very, very <laughs> excited about it. Okay. Um, I actually, I do want to go back to this like teenage vigilante thing. I want to know Janelle, yes. what is the most badass vigilante thing that you did in your younger years? Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm a bit of a wimp sometimes. So like, I feel like a lot of the things I do are honestly probably more like less fighting. Like, I mean, I kickbox and I, I like, I like doing boxing and stage combat and things like that in a safe environment, but I could never actually punch somebody like that's just, that's just not me. But I've definitely been at a party and, you know, seen a guy get a little too friendly with a girl, let's just say, who's clearly not interested and, you know, got up to him and just been like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get out of here, you know? Um, and I feel like we all have to do that. I feel like that's almost, it's kind of sad in a way that that's like, if you're not doing that as a female, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like that's you, our... it's almost like a weird obligation. I know, I know. It's almost like like I feel like everybody should have one of those stories just because it's like, why aren't you doing that? Like we unfortunately have to stick together. So Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's a weird obligation. Like it's something that I mean I can't judge anybody to for not, you know, being aggressive in that way, obviously, but there's also a part of me that's like we got to stick together. We got to stick up for each other. So I think that would be, you know, one of my only experiences, I guess, being a little bit of a vigilante. No, that's <laughs> like, well, and that's like the thing is I, I think that there's a line because I'm going to, I I was reminded of this actually. It's funny because it feels like I've completely blocked this out of my memory. Um, but my sophomore year of college, um, there was a really big thing that um, a bunch of the basketball players were um sexually assaulting girls at frat parties and what? so like much like it just the the plot that you were bringing up reminds me of it but like you know in this plot that you're talking about somebody was actually doing something productive against it i'm sure um but mm -hmm. me and my friends in protest of it um broke into the college basketball stadium and peed all over the floor what? So, oh my God. So I think that there's got to be a line maybe between that and staying silent. And I think that if you are anywhere in the middle of that, like, thank you for your service. I don't, I mean, honestly, you like peeing on the floor of the basketball, like that is way more badass than like me just like telling a guy, Hey, Hey, get away from her. <laughs> like, like that's way more badass. Well, I mean, I'm also gonna say that like yours actually accomplished good results, and ours as much of a big like fuck you as it was, just meant that they were grossed out, and then some poor janitor had to come and clean it up. Again, I was young; I was not even 21 yet, and I like I was literally like drunk off of alcohol that I couldn't buy for myself yet when I did this. So, you know, I I, I don't really glorify myself for it. Well, I'll glorify it for you because I think it's pretty badass. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, I, I actually did kind of had almost like I, I feel like I've had a very consistent artist date throughout the quarantine. And um, I feel like I got a little bit called out on it. But it, it's a story that I, I think is a little bit funny, but also I thought was like maybe nice to share. 
is um, mm-hmm. there's this uh, game, like a computer game called Stardew Valley. And for those of you who are aware of what that game is, um, I'm sorry for your obsession. And for those of you who don't, it is literally a farming game. It's like, basically, it was like Animal Crossing before Animal Crossing. And like, you're just taking care of farm animals and raising crops and you give gifts to the people in the village. And if they like the gifts, then they'll be your friend. And if not, then they'll be like, ew, I hate this. And you also go mining for things. And it's just very... It's a very low maintenance game. Like you're literally just farming. Um, And I have played it. I am on my eighth time playing through it since the quarantine started, which is a lot, especially because in order to reach the end of the game, um, you play through about three to four years. So what? Wait, wait, wait. So what is the end of the game? You just have a nice farm. Like I'm not and I say that with kindness. No, like, no, I, totally I mean respect, like, like basically, I mean it's it sounds very dramatic, but basically it's like your grandpa, your dead grandpa who left you the farm comes back to visit you as a ghost um at the end of your second year and he either tells you that he's extremely disappointed that you didn't do enough or he tells you that he's very proud of you and so basically like you just keep playing until you have like made enough please crop. your grandpa yeah yeah I mean that's basically it like, like once your grandpa's happy with you like you can keep doing your farms but like there's not really anything else to do that's this sounds it. like like it sounds a bit like unpaid labor I'm not gonna lie your grandpa just like wants you to keep working hard and what do you get besides his approval? Like, I feel like it's... That's it. I mean, there's a deeper question That's it. here. Like, well, I mean, like, they give you... He gives you, like, this little um, this little statue of a little cat that gives you um, a specific type of ore that you should have already had in order to make him happy in the first place. So that's about it. Um, it's a very anticlimactic ending. And it's... I... So I, um, I, I am in therapy for um, my obsessive compulsive disorder and like my general anxiety and everything, which also has a lot of roots in wanting to get things done and being a little bit of a people pleaser and things like that. And I'm like explaining this game to my therapist and the fact that I am literally playing through it for the eighth time. And as I'm saying it, I'm like, So I can totally see how this is my obsessive compulsive disorder and also all the other things that I'm in here for. And he just was really quiet for a second. It was like like the phone line just kind of went quiet for a minute. And he was like, yeah, no, um, I'm really happy that you're able to recognize that. And I was like, oh, no. But he was like, but he was saying that, like, he was like, I think that it's really good, though, that you found something that you can kind of work out those impulses on like he was like just saying like you know it sounds like it's actually very meditative for you and he was like you know we've talked a lot about how you don't really agree well with meditating and how this game seems to do it for you so he was like you know go for your ninth or tenth play on it I guess like (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting you brought up meditation because I, I meditate every day, but I I think a lot of people get like turned off by meditation because they think it's just like sitting and like with complete silence or like staring at a candle for like 30 minutes and like not thinking about anything. But like, I think, you know, it's totally whatever you want it to be, whatever kind of brings you to like that complete center of yourself and brings you calm and lets you just focus on one thing, whether it's, you know, the video game or if it's just a candle lighting or if it's just your breath. You know, I think there's like so many different forms of meditation. And I totally agree that like a video game that is that relaxing and just about pleasing your grandpa, I think that could totally be. No, I I think that it works. Well, and it really, well, because like for me, like just meditation and like sitting still and quiet for eight minutes and trying to like clear my head or it, it just like, it's not something that's ever worked for me. And I know that that means that I should probably keep trying, but, but I, I will say that like, 
for me, it's like things like making lists and like playing games like that, that are just very like, like you have a purpose, but it's nothing overly challenging. Like for me that, well, I guess like the, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a guy who talks about this. He's like a big philosophical, philosophic, phil, philosoph, philosophic, philosophic guy. <laughs> Um, his name is, uh, Alan Watts and he has like this really great talk where he's talking about how like meditation shouldn't ever feel like a chore. It should feel like something that you get to do. Like it, it should feel like something that you look forward to. Mm -hmm. And so I I feel like if like maybe Mm -hmm. meditation in the form of like doing yoga or, like sitting and doing headspace or something like if that's not something that you want to do then maybe maybe like get a coloring book or like maybe find a a game or like you know like something like that that gives you the same kind of like quietness I guess yeah definitely I think you know you have to find what works for you and at the end of the day it is just about that quiet like sense of just like I don't have to do anything right now. I can zone out on this one thing. I can set a timer and I'm only in the present moment of doing this one thing, you know, whether it's just listening to your breathing yeah, or whether exactly. it's playing a video game. So I think, I think you've kind of, I think you found it. It's Stardew for me. That's how I become present with where I am. Um, well, and I'm honestly like, I, I think it's really cool that this talk kind of moved to philosophy because um, I think it's a really great segue into bringing on our guests because um, if you liked any of what we were talking about right now, you are going to love him. So let's go to our interview with Miguel. Cue the applause. It's been a while. So what do I owe this surprise? Your father's in very bad shape. Howard, no! You need to come right away. I wish I could, but I'm really tired of work here. Bullshit, Richard. I know you're in New York right now. You want to change a plan? Uh, head towards Westchester. I have a daughter you don't care about her either. You sound busy. I'm in New York. Dad, my play is tonight. You promised you would be here. I was trying to protect you. From what? You bastard! From me. So we're here with Miguel Garzon Martinez, an amazing writer and director. Um, he is of Long Commute and Parousia fame. All right. So I would actually really love to start off the conversation about a film that we actually worked on together, The Long Commute. Um, and just so our listeners know, it's a really, really beautiful and heartbreaking reminder about you know, just the idea of we only have so much time with our loved ones here on this earth. And so you don't really want to let petty things get in the way of your connections with everybody. So Miguel, do you want to share some about The Long Commute? Uh, yeah, thank you for that introduction. Uh, so this is a film that we developed with a good friend who is an actor, Anthony Grasso. Uh, and Anthony and I met at a film festival in Buffalo, New York. What happened is that he had a short film in the festival, and so did I. And we were both sharing one actress in, in the film. Uh, her name is Lydia Fiore. And when we were making the arrangements to go, uh, Lydia was trying to organize the rooms because of course uh, 
the site that you don't hear about uh, film festivals is that you have to most of the time pay for your own transportation and housing. So in order to make it affordable, uh, Lydia asked me if I was okay sharing a room with Anthony. I had never met him, but I was like, sure. It's a, a little bit of a rhetorical question because we couldn't afford having individual rooms. Uh, and then we met and, you know, it's a little weird to be like, I'm going to be sharing the room with a guy, but Anthony. To have this little sleepover with a guy that you've never met before. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst that could happen, you know? <laughs> exactly. But Anthony, super sweet. We start talking about films and projects that we've done. He told me, I have to give him the credit because he was like, we need to do something together. So based on that, we start working. We came back to, to the city. We start having meetings and brainstorming. I believe we did about 17 different drafts of the screenplay. It, it took around six to seven months just going back and forth writing. And oh, wow. Yeah. To be honest, we didn't really have a time frame, so... We keep saying to each other, let's get it right. We we don't have a deadline to film. So let's just just keep writing and writing. So I was just wondering, um, I love just this whole story of how you guys met and got on this project together, you and Anthony. What actually inspired the story, though? Like, how did you guys come up with the story? Uh, a lot of the specific inspiration came also from Anthony because uh, not that he's an older gentleman, but he's a little older than me. Mm. So he's in a different <laughs> stage of his life. He's married. He has a child who's like a teenager now. Uh, and also because of that difference, uh, both Anthony's parents uh, pass away. Uh, which by contrast, my parents, luckily, are still around. But Anthony had a lot of stories, a lot of images, a lot of moments uh, that he wanted to capture in his memory. Um, and basically what he kept telling me is, it's crazy when you have this reversal in the roles, when your parents grow old and you have to take care of them. Uh, and he told me he would remember, for example, with his mother who got pretty sick and he had to cut her nails and he had to like uh, comb her hair and do all the things that the image is like what a parent would do for a child. But then he found himself doing that in return. Wow. And we thought that was very powerful, very relatable. Um, so we wanted to capture a lot of those images in the film. Uh, now, I came with my director perspective to be like, well, that's nice, but we need like a big conflict, right? Of when course. Something going on. So we decided to try to amp uh, a little bit the idea that the father and the son don't get along. We thought it would be interesting to explore how does that image look like, but with the fact that they don't get along, they haven't seen each other in a while, which adds a little bit the layer that, Megan, you were mentioning before, we are hoping to leave audiences with the idea that if you have a beef with someone, especially with your parents, you should be proactive and, and forgive and get over that because the time we have is limited and we don't know how long that time is going to be. Yeah, no, I well, and I really love that you're talking about um, finding your way in as the director and everything, especially because... I mean, you know, it, you are kind of telling somebody else's story that they're handing to you. Um, how did you go about finding your own way into this to tell this story? That is a great question because 
lately I have found myself more and more in that position that when I am making a short film, it's not necessarily my story, but it's someone else's. Uh, with the case of Anthony, is the story of uh, the relationship with his parents. Uh, and I am even right now, I am developing and writing a short film with a survivor of a sexual assault who is a woman. And, wow. it, and I also ask myself constantly, I like, well, I'm a guy, so how can I write this would be truthful to the experience? Uh, and I think it's a mixture of listening and being very open to have someone else, in this case, Anthony, telling you the story from their point of view, how it happened, how they experience things, but also it's a balancing act with certain knowledge uh, that I have. Making films sometimes can be very technical uh, and you start to get trained to look at certain things so I'm always trying to accommodate those two aspects of this is what happened, but how is that serving the story that we are telling? Um, and especially with things such as a payoff and a setup. So if we are going, going to introduce certain scene or certain moment, I would like to have that properly set up, properly uh, paid off. A good example, I think, with Anthony and the long commute is that his daughter actually plays a role in the film. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and she did a fantastic job. <laughs> she does a fantastic job. Uh, and originally, it was a little bit of like, oh, well, yeah, Anthony's daughter in real life acts and she wants to be involved. But for me, from the director's point of view, it's like she has to have an arc and she needs to serve the greater story. So what happens in the film is that you see he, his character is not perfect. And as a father, he also has some shortcomings. When he goes to take care of his dying father, uh, he learns that time is very limited so that changes his perspective and he understands that maybe it was too late to fix the relationship with the father, but then he goes back to the daughter, hopefully being a better person and a better figure for her. Yeah, um, like I, I may have messed up here, but I can still take what I learned and I can apply it here. I, I think that that's a really, really amazing answer, especially because I... I don't know. I feel like um, a lot of the conversations that artists have tend to center on the output about like the the actual making things and coming up with ideas and things like that. And so I I think that it's really, really cool how you're talking about the biggest part of it a lot of the times is actually listening to the story and like understanding like this is the story that this person is trying to tell and this is how I can take the part of me that's an artist and have it told in a way that other people are going to be able to relate to it as well. And I, I think that that's really, really cool um, to approach it from that kind of a standpoint. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything Megan said. And I'm, I'm curious what that feels like for you as an artist to be kind of almost like getting you know, trying on someone else's perspective and really finding a way to bring your own um, ideas to it, obviously, but you, there also is a degree of pressure in some of these stories to kind of tell them in a specific way. So can you talk about how that, you know, just what that process feels like too? Uh, yeah. So as you say, it is a lot of pressure and when you're writing to and in these situations, it's very common to have a lot of people giving you feedback. Uh, and I think there are a couple of things to consider. One is how to take some of the feedback, uh, right? And 
so it is definitely a challenge how to remain true to the story uh, but also how to be open because when you are writing and when you are directing i feel at the same time you have to be very confident in the decisions you are making because the whole crew and the cast rely on your leadership but at the same time you have to be very humble and accept that just because you're the director maybe your idea is not as good uh, and that's a very interesting balance to be able to recognize and acknowledge when someone presents something better and you say, okay, you know what? Forget what I was saying, let's, let's do it your way. But I also think it's important to just keep in mind and try to study a little bit the structure of the scripts and the movies, because that for me is a very big guideline to understand if what we are trying to say what we're trying to achieve is this. How are all these little elements serving that purpose or maybe not serving it? So I think you need a very big clarity to understand what story you're telling, what are you trying to say with that story? And I think that comes a lot from the dialogue in this case with Anthony. But then understanding that not everything that happened uh, in his life is going to serve that story uh, and understanding that there is a, a, a saying that I, I used to hear all the time in, in film sets and when I went to film school, less is more. Sometimes you achieve a stronger result if you are focused on one thing that hits the audience really hard as opposed to trying to throw too many elements, too many characters, too many situations that are just going to distract from that main goal. Funny enough, I actually saw another one of your films at a festival, um, Parisia, which it like it's honestly kind of crazy because I was there to see another film that I had worked on. And then this film played that we were all like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Who did this? Because we were going to like look them up. And then it was like Miguel. And we were like, oh my gosh, it's you. Um, so I was just wondering if you wanted to maybe talk about that film a little bit. Uh, you're making me flush. Thank you. That's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so actually, by, by contrast with what we have been talking so far, that film is uh, my baby of something that I wrote. It's not anybody's uh, else. It's not anybody else's idea. I've been toying with that for a long time, and I really tried to go all out with the fact that before I got into film, I started philosophy, and I was really fascinated by a lot of the things in philosophy. And one of my goals is still to, to try to make films based on some of those ideas that I find so fascinating. And sometimes I feel people are not super aware of some of those ideas. So I'm always thinking, how can I introduce something else in the films? Uh, and the short that you are mentioning, even from the title, is very much... Uh, making a statement. Uh, the film is called Parousia, which is a Greek word, um, which is used to indicate uh, the second coming of, of Jesus in the Bible. And also a little bit, um, it means to arrive. But, but in the Bible specifically, it's, it's used in some version in Greek, um, to indicate the second coming of Jesus. So I've always been fascinated with a lot of those ideas and stories. Uh, I grew up as a Catholic. I am from Colombia, which is a very Catholic country. I went to a Catholic high school. And I've always been fascinated with the idea of Jesus, the tension that some people see Jesus as a God, 
and some people see Jesus as a guy who are like really good, but that tension between the divine and the human. So all of that, I was like, I need to write something regarding that. And with a couple of very strong influences, uh, which are random, but uh, Kevin Smith made a movie called Dogma in, in the early 2000s. Yes, he Ben did. Affleck. <laughs> Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, yep, Alan I remember Rickman. sneaking to watch that on Comedy Central, which was a station I was not supposed to be watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that movie really inspired me when I first saw it. Uh, it's a comedy, and I, I was trying to do a drama with my film, but a little bit inspired in that movie. The question is, well, imagine if you have a, a child, you know, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and you go and you tell them, guess what? You are the son of God, and you have the responsibility of the whole world in your shoulders. Like, that's freaky. Like, the first reaction to that would be like, I'm afraid. I don't want this. <laughs> I was very inspired by that, but I didn't want to try to go and revisit the story of Jesus in the past. So with all this idea of the second coming, I was wondering, well, what if Jesus came back today, what would that look like and how would this new Jesus react to, to all of that? So all of that inspired me to make that film. It's, it's seven minutes long, which is like how with all those grand teams. But the film basically is following this girl who's nine years old and, and she is the second coming of Jesus, which again, I'm like, well, if Jesus is going to come back today for representation, you know, I don't think Jesus would pick a guy again. No, I, I love that concept of like, maybe it's just going to be a little girl. Maybe it's just an eight-year-old girl. Yeah, and again, it's like, why? You know, like, why does Jesus has to be a guy? And I have people that watch the show and they are like, well, but Jesus is a guy. But I'm like, well... He was a guy 2,000 years ago, but if he's born again, it could be a girl. Like a girl could also be the daughter of God. Why not? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, it even kind of, this might be something that I cut out, but I mean, you know, people also generally depict Jesus as a white male, which was absolutely not, that's a real miracle if that was the case, is all I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. So the... I, I think what you're saying is great because that's a lot of my intent. My intent is to disrupt a little bit with some ideas that, oh, Jesus is a guy and it's why, but it like, well, first of all, probably not. But second of all, like you need to dig deeper about message, you know, like what's the purpose of, of Jesus, you know, like, let's talk about that. Uh, but then in my idea to humanize Jesus and to show that, you know, it's not like this all-knowing person that has all the answers. So in my story, it's a little girl and she meets a, a priest, a former priest that discovers that she has these powers, these abilities that make her the second coming. But then the whole film is like she's asking him to not say anything because she's afraid. She's not ready to assume that. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the film, he agrees. He's like, okay, I'm going to keep your secret. Um, and, and again, for me, this idea of let's not forget about the human part. Let's not forget about the fear. Let's not forget about, you know, all, all of those emotions, even when we are dealing with like a large figure uh, like Jesus. So that's where that came from. That's amazing. I was doing some reading online about you, and I actually found this really interesting quote. Yeah, we've been um, creeping on you, just so you know. Like, I, yeah. Know <laughs> okay. I love doing my research. I love research and data. Um, and one of the things I found was it says, in his work, the questions are more important than the answers. And is that something that you agree with? Is that something that you aim to do with the work that you're doing? Um. Wow, you make me feel like I'm famous. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> We're very interested in you. 
I, I uh, thank you for bringing that quote up. I think that is a very powerful quote. Uh, and I do, I do think that's true for my work. It's always something that I try to do because it's also part of my training. Before I got into film, I mentioned I started philosophy. And philosophy is very good at not giving any answers. And I'm, I've been training that with the idea that sometimes the most important thing is not to give an answer, but to know how to ask the question. And I, I just think that is a little powerful in a lot of ways from a film perspective is simply the idea that I want people to walk out of my movie wondering something. Right. And sometimes it could be very personal. It could be like, wow, maybe how is my relationship with my dad? Uh, but hopefully it can also be something uh, more general, like with Parousia. Uh, what I want people to question is like, oh, okay, so how would I treat Jesus if I have met Jesus? You know, like, uh, and it goes through the thing that maybe we don't have the ability to recognize uh, what Jesus would look like today. Uh, and finally, uh, at a deeper level, I also think that, let's say today, I don't know if you've seen the news, but like, you know, there's like a lot of wacky things happening in the country. I'm trying to not see the news, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like, in the last six months. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, my point about that is that uh, I think we should be very aware that one of the bases of uh, democracy is the fact that we should be able to engage in the public sphere in a conversation. Um, and I think the problem that we're seeing today is that People are not asking questions. People already have all the answers. I think that, I mean, I don't want to say that we just solved the nation's problem on our podcast, but I think if more people listen to you, we might have less problems <laughs> because that's, I, I, I think that you're exactly right. And I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and it goes back to the idea of like, if you're a director, but also if you're a citizen, you have to be very humble to like listen and ask questions and be like, wait, I don't understand this. Can you explain? Or like, this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and that doesn't mean you don't have a spine. It doesn't mean you don't have beliefs. Like you do have your beliefs, but when you go into the public sphere, it, it should be like a safe environment where you can talk. Uh, and I feel that doesn't, the, the conditions are not given for that. And, and again, it's like the question is more important than the answer. We should always be asking the question and it applies to films, but it also applies to politics or to whatever you want. The moment you're setting an answer is the moment that you stop learning, that you stop growing. I love that. That's really, really beautiful. I, I'm sorry. I, have like, I, I feel like I'm a little bit speechless. That's. I, I feel like that might be one of the most open and honest and truthful things that I've heard in 2020. So that was really, really great. Um, Janelle, do you have any questions or anything or? No, I mean, I, I fully agree with you that like the whole, um, as a whole, we need to be like asking more questions. So I'm curious because you kind of mentioned a little bit um, what those questions would be with some of the films and things like that. But is there any like, overall question that you're trying like are you you know with the work that you're creating now you know are or do you feel like there's a focus on a certain question or that you're trying to explore and maybe find out for yourself I mean there doesn't have to be an answer to that I'm just curious yeah no I mean that is a very good question uh honestly I think I'll have to look back and try to analyze it uh consciously I haven't uh, had like a one main question that I try to focus the movies, uh, not particularly. Um, but I think it's very interesting. Like I hadn't really thought about it 
and I would love to go back and, and see what are the recurring themes because that's also something that happens, you know, like uh, with art, when you start creating, there's more of you in the art than you realize. And when patterns start to emerge, it's, it's really interesting. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't have like one question that I can tell you. No, no, it's okay to explore questions and not have the answers. No, I think the exploration, <laughs> yeah, the exploration is is part of it, you know, like you said. <laughs> I, I, I'm i not going to lie. Um, If you at some point, like, do explore that, like, I would actually love if you would, like, let us know and we could, like, let the listeners know and everything. Because, like, if nothing else, I would just really like to know, especially, like, I think that it would be really interesting to explore, like, even though not all the stories that you're telling are your own, there's still a piece of you in all of them. So I, I would actually be extremely curious to know what, like, Miguel's recurring themes and questions Me too. Are. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I will definitely, like, take some time just to look back what I've done so far and, and, and see what patterns emerge. Yeah, no. Um, okay, so um, I am going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to exit um, the little mini therapy session that this turned into. <laughs> and I'm not even sure which one of us is the therapist because I know I'm learning a lot. Um, yeah, let's so shake it off. Let's I, all shake it off. <laughs> shake it out, shake it out, shake it out. Okay, so um, I thought it would be really fun to play a little bit of a game with you. So I know that you have a web series called Painful Watching. Um, it's really, really great. Um, do you I, actually, you know, it's your web series. Do you want to tell the listeners what it is? Uh, yes, uh, yes, definitely. So it is, it is a comedy web series that was inspired by a guy I saw on YouTube who just gets, gets the stung by animals like by ants and wasps uh, and he and he just records the whole process and he's really funny like he's like very over the top being like oh my god it hurts so much whatever and he's trying to walk you through the pain he's feeling and when i saw it i was like that's hilarious so i i thought like i was gonna make a parody of that with uh, movies that I was going to try to figure out the 10 movies that are so bad that when you watch them, you, you feel pain in your body. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to have like a, an adventurer, adventurous character kind of look alike, just finding movies and, and watching them and then being like this guy on YouTube, just being like, oh, I'm feeling so much pain. No, um, I, I, I've watched all the episodes. Um, I'm a big fan. All right, so we're going to play a little bit of a game with you. We thought that it would be fun to use the Film Sucks scale from your web series and see which one of us could name the worst movie. So we're going to go around. Everybody is going to pick the worst movie that they can think of, and then we're going to rate each one of them and see who's closest to number one or who gets number one. Does that sound cool? Wait, before we start, I have a question. For this scale, because, you know, you're the expert. So is, like, how how do, exactly do you rate this? Like, what is what is 10 mean? And what does 1 mean? You know what I mean? Oh, because in the show, we did a, a countdown from, like, 10 to 1, meaning that you are ranking, basically, a worst movie is number 1. And then you go finding your way up to the worst movie. So it'll be a top 10, but of the 10 bad movies. Okay, so number one is the worst. Got it, okay. Yes. yes. Okay, just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think I'm gonna quote unquote cheat a little bit because uh, I, I have to go with the one I did for my show, for the web series, which is, uh, because I cannot really think of a, a more horrible movie, which is called Dragon Ball Evolution. And it is the adaptation uh, that 20th Century Fox did of the hit uh, Japanese TV show Dragon Ball, which I happen to be a very big fan of. Um, so for me, it was very personal, and I know a lot about the material. So when I saw it, 
uh, everything that they did wrong was baffling to me. Uh, and I saw it as a young boy, you know, I was maybe like 23, I don't know, like it was before I got into film, but it was very hard to watch. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that say that that is my work. I also, I, I love that we're finding out what a big Dragon Ball Z fan you are too. <laughs> don't worry, I was too. I've never seen that movie, but I was also a pretty big fan oh okay do you think your uh perspective and like your the fact that you maybe went into it with high hopes because you were a fan of dragon ball z kind of skewed the data a little bit i think that that should factor into the rating do you think that if somebody has never seen the show and then they watch that movie do you think that they would enjoy it see i feel like because i've never seen I've never seen Dragon Ball Z, so I feel like I would enjoy it because I would have no expectations of what I'm about to watch. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I, I think what Janelle is bringing is a very good point uh, because you're saying I had high expectations, ex expectations, but the thing is that I didn't because I was very aware of behind the scenes. I was very aware of casting. I was very aware of a lot of things. So I knew it was going to be a train wreck. It was just worse than I could have possibly imagined. But definitely, I think any person, average person, can appreciate how poorly written and how poorly acted. And there's a lot of negative things about the movie that I think you need to be familiar with the source material. Okay. Okay. So for the rating on that one, where would you give it on a scale of one to 10, 10 being, or one being the worst? <laughs> one. <laughs> You're going to give it a one? Okay. Okay. It's okay. I'm going to say it's my turn and I'm going to see if I can top you because mine's okay. actually a similar thing. I don't know if any of you have seen The Last Airbender by M. Night Shyamalan. That's my one because, and again, I, same as you, I was a huge fan of the cartoon growing up. Like, I was like, I think that his kids watch the TV show and he's heard parts of it on in the background and then tried to make it into a movie. Like, it didn't follow it. Um, I'm going to say culturally insensitive casting. So it also has that going for it. Very poorly written dialogue. Okay, I'm going to give that my it. one. I've seen it. I, I agree. It, it's a very, very similar situation. It's a very similar situation. It's, it's a movie that is incredibly poorly made. Uh, it's a movie that doesn't make a lot of sense, even if you're not familiar, because see, I have not really watched uh, the, the Last Airbender TV show. I've seen some episodes. Yeah, I know, you I know, I know. To. You have to. That's your it's on Netflix. You have to. I'm literally, since it's on Netflix, I'm making everybody watch it. <laughs> it's on Netflix. But even without having that context, I saw the movie. The movie is, the, like you say, the dialogue uh, and the, the casting is, like the acting is really bad. Like you cannot the layer of the insensitive casting, but the acting is really bad on top of that. So Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we, we have a tie. Yeah, we have a we tie. We have a tie so. for number one. Okay, Janelle? I'm going to be honest, neither of yours sound that bad. Like, it, they really don't. <laughs> but I like bad movies. Like, I'm going to, like, generally admit that, like, I like bad movies. Like, if it has cheesy over-the-top acting, like, bad special effects, like, I'm so into that. Um, but mine is, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but this came out of years ago. Um, and it is Paul Blart Mall Cop. I haven't. Yeah, and I also want to just add, just to the pain of this of the movie. I don't know if this factors in on the scale. I saw it on Valentine's Day. <gasps> Ooh, ooh! I I feel like I I feel like she gets a little bit of an advantage given the setting. What no, do you, what do you think, definitely Miguel? that that could be the equivalent to having uh, in in megan's and in my case we have the source material that we're very passionate about in your case you have valentine's uh, day so 
So I think it, it makes it... Exactly. That's what made the experience extra bad. But here's the thing, <laughs> okay. because I, I'm going to okay. ask you a question. I keep saying, oh, we should ask more questions. So I'm going to ask you a question. So you say you like bad movies. Therefore, you like this movie. No, I like bad movies that other people think are bad. <laughs> there's a difference. There's like actual bad movies and there's bad movies that other people think are bad. There's two categories. No, and I, I will I will just to like jump on that little bit of philosophy you're given to us right now that you're serving up to us. Um, I legitimately do like hate watching things. Like, I, I will say that, like, if people, like, I, I'm not going to lie, I loved Cats. I haven't seen it. It is, it, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's like, it's just, I, I do think that there is a classification of bad movies that curves back around into being good again, like uh, The Room. Yeah. <laughs> we know the room, right? Like the room is so bad that it's actually good again. And I, I have a, like a little bit of a theory that, and I, I'm saying this on the podcast right now. So people know that I said it before it happened. I think that cats is going to be like the next room. I think that people are going to dress up as cats and go to theaters and see it. And they're going to, they're going to give standing ovations to Judy Dench. And they're going to bring bowls to lick when Suri and McKellen licks a bowl. Like, I, I think that, I think that it is going to turn into one of those interactive experiences, like the room and Rocky Horror and stuff. Oh, I would hate that. <laughs> so I, I think there's a place for bad movies. There's like, you're right. It's like two different kinds of categories. But then, I mean, you could also just argue, are there any bad movies if we're enjoying them while watching them? What do you think, Miguel? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I think there are bad movies. And I have a hard time watching bad movies. Like, I cannot really enjoy bad movies. I, I guess I've been spoiled somehow in the process. Like, let's say The Room. Like, I've seen The Room, but, like, with people and, like, in the movie theater and everybody freaking out. And I couldn't even see a movie because everybody was yelling and throwing spoons. Yeah. So it, it was a great time. But, like, I don't think I could sit and watch The Room by myself. Oh, 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 okay, okay. No, and that, that's a good point because I will also completely say that, like, I would not watch Cats or The Room by myself. I, like, okay, so, like, maybe, like, there are such a thing as bad movies, but they could still be turned into good experiences. Maybe? Yeah. Except Malakoff. <laughs> <laughs> There's no... Even if you're watching that with someone, trust me, it's still not a good time. <laughs> But uh, Janelle, just because I've never seen the movie, I've seen the trailer and I refuse to see it based on the trailer. But can you tell me very quickly, what is it so bad about this movie that you dislike? Oh, there's just no plot. It's just you're just watching a guy go on like a little segue the whole time yelling at kids like that's the movie. Like it's all just bits. It's all just stupid bits with um, what's his name? Kevin James. That's it. <laughs> Kevin James. Yeah. So I feel like. Ours, mine and Miguel's had extremely ruined plots, whereas it sounds like Janelle's didn't have a plot at all. So I think that in order to decide the winner, and maybe this, as we have learned from this conversation, is a question to ask ourselves, but maybe not have an answer to, is it worse to have something you loved from your childhood ruined or... Is it worse to have a perfect Valentine's date night ruined? <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't perfect to begin with, but I like the question. <laughs> oh, no, because if, if you want to break up the tie, what we can do is each one of us can rank the three movies from worst to best Ooh. based on how you, like, you have to sit and watch them, in which order would you be like? For me, I'd rather watch first the cop movie with Kevin James and then watch Avatar. And <laughs> Dragon Ball Evolution is the last one that I never want to watch again. Okay, okay. So my list would be, um, I would actually say Dragon Ball Z just because now I'm extremely curious and I did grow up with those cartoons. Um, and then I would say Mall Cop. 
And then Avatar is at the bottom. I will not watch that one again. So okay. I'm gen- like, I really actually want to watch both Dragon Ball Z and Avatar. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie, guys. Like, they both, like, they don't sound great, but they sound like a good time. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, Janelle, this is going to be the tiebreaker. Which one would be your number two then? Like, which would be the second one that you would watch? Probably Avatar. I think I'm more curious about Dragon Ball Z. Okay, yeah. so it, it means Dragon Ball. All right. Lost so, as in the bad movie. It means that Dragon Ball lost. Oh. So that means that th- so number one then would be Avatar. Avatar would be. Second would be Mall Cop. Yes. And then third is Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, I. Don't worry yeah. about it too much. We had the home advantage. Don't think too. Don't think too much about us beating you on this. I, I'm gonna try not to think about it. I don't mind losing. <laughs> I, I just I mind that Dragon Ball is like the best option out of oh, yeah. the bunch. <laughs> I'm most curious about that one. Like I gotta be honest. Well, it's it's out there. It's out All there. All right. Well, Miguel, this has been so much fun thank you so much for coming on and talking to us um i just wanted to give you one last opportunity um we want to give you a chance to plug yourself plug your work you can tell um our audience where they can see your films or any festivals you have coming up anything like that and um we would also like to give you the opportunity to plug another artist in you know the spirit of giving back and everything uh all right great thank you so much uh so if you visit my website perfect but also if you google me i'm really easy to find i'm on facebook i'm on instagram uh if you google the whole three names miguel garzon martinez um so yeah i you can find mostly uh my short films uh you can find trailers for them in my website um some of them are still in the festival circuit. Some of them are under SAC after contract, so I cannot really post them online. But if you message me, if you really want to watch a film, I will share it with you privately. Uh, I also, we never get to talk about this, but when I was in LA, I, 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 I directed a feature film. That, that one is public. Uh, it, it is called The Broken Legacy. It's on my website. It's also in thebrokenlegacy.com. Uh, you can rent it on Amazon for like, I don't know, three bucks or something. Um, so that's also uh, something nice. And yeah, I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. I write, I direct, I edit. So happy to collaborate. Awesome. No, thank you so much. And we'll we'll keep that information um, in the show notes. And I just realized that I actually meant to ask you about that film um and we got so caught up in all of the philosophy talk that i forgot so um do you actually uh since we have a couple minutes do you want to share uh yeah sure thank you uh so it is a film i used to live in los angeles before i live in new york and uh i i wrote and directed a film in there it's about a shy screenwriter who is broke uh, and he finds out that there is this research facility where he can try a new drug uh, and they're going to pay him a lot of money for that. So he goes to spend a month in this facility along with other characters of his same age. And it's a mixed group of half boys, half uh, girls. And they have to spend a month there. And my film basically follows uh these characters for a month that they spend in this facility exploring their relationships how they grow how they change yeah it's about 85 minutes long and yeah if anybody wants to watch it it's also out there next to everybody go check it out it's it's, uh, out there next to dragon ball evolution (laughs) you can watch both (laughs) there you go no that's um your homework is i want you to watch avatar the last airbender tv show and everybody else's homework is to go check out all the films on your website (laughs) okay Um, and is there another artist that you'd like to plug uh yes actually uh my girlfriend 
is an artist too. She is an actress. Uh, her name is Jennifer Marinelli. Uh, and same, if you Google Jennifer Marinelli, you can find her website. She does a lot of theater. Um, so yeah, check her out too. Amazing. We'll include her information in the show notes too, so everybody can check her out. That's so sweet. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Um, we'll let you go. Okay, great. Thank you so much for having me.